What a wonderful place to be this morning. Gather together with my brothers and sisters in Christ as we worship the great God and Father. It's a great pleasure to stand before you this morning. I appreciate the brethren asking me to do this. There's nothing greater than talking about the love of God that he has for us. And that's going to be our subject this morning. I want to talk this morning about a compassionate Savior. To introduce this subject, that we may better understand the greatness of the love of God for fallen humanity. I want to use some scriptures that I hope will tell us about the wonderful blessing that we enjoy. Finally, and that is salvation of our souls from sin. I hope that we don't always think of God as a God of condemnation and revenge. I have preached many sermons, my nephews tell me, about that subject. And I preached this one in their presence one day, and they said, Uncle D, that's quite a change of what you usually preach. And I said, yes, but we have to look at both sides of the subject. Why would I say that? Because God is a God of love and compassion. And I think sometimes we forget the greatness of that statement. God is love. And we need to comprehend that and think about it as we look at some scriptures this morning. But to begin this study, I want to look at some things about Jesus Christ. How great this subject is. First of all, I ask the question, does Jesus really care about you? Does he really care about me? I hope before we get through with this that we can answer that question definitely for in our minds this morning. As you look at Jesus, first of all, I want to look at the fact that he came from heaven. And to clarify that, I want to make the statement that Jesus, the man, did not come from heaven. And you're going to say, Brother D, have you lost your marbles? Well, not entirely. This verse in John 1 said, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Keep in mind that in the beginning was the Word. 
Doesn't say a thing about Jesus, does it? Doesn't say a thing about the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And then we began to read further. Look in the 14th verse of John 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So then we see this happening. Jesus was born of Mary, and we're going to get to a little more of that. But the Word was made flesh. That Word that was God, that was in the beginning, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he said, we beheld his glory. It was the glory of the only begotten of the Father, who was the only begotten Son of God. And when was he begotten? Let's read on. I'll go to the book of Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse number 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Here we began to see the beginning of this story of the man that was called Jesus. Mary was going to have a son. His name was going to be called Jesus. And he came for the purpose of saving his people from their sins. Now, if he, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did all of the angel had said unto him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her, forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Jesus was prophesied. Jesus came, was born of Mary. And when you see the man, Jesus, walking upon the face of the earth, we see God in a fleshly body walking on the earth. And he knew the thoughts that were in men. He knew what they were thinking. He knew of their sinful ways. He knew what was in man but he came to save those individuals that were lost. Another scripture that I call to your, remind, to your mind in Luke 1, beginning at verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this thing be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I've had some discussions with brethren over the fact when Jesus became the Son of God. But I think this verse of Scripture clearly tells us that when he was born of Mary, he became and was called the Son of God, born of the highest. Born of Mary, yes, but he was also called the Son of God. And they said unto the angel, I read that, but I didn't put up the slide. I apologize. Mark 1 and verse number 1. Mark began the writing of the gospel, said, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He depicted who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God. Now looking on down in that chapter, in Mark, the first chapter, verse number 8. John said, I have indeed baptized with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it shall come to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father spoke from heaven, and said, this is my son. And I'm well pleased in what he does. Have you ever thought? If you haven't, let me plant this thought in your brain this morning. If Jesus was baptized, and that pleased the Father, if you haven't been baptized, would you like to please the Father? Just think about it. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus made a statement in John 8 and verse number 24 that I don't have on the screen, but he said, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Jesus was called the Son of God. But look at what he says about himself. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked of his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He put himself as a man, the son of man. He did not boast that he was the son of God. 
But he said, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now we have Jesus as described, the Son of God. We have Jesus as described as the Son of Man. But notice before we get confused in Colossians, the second chapter, beginning at verse number 6. He said, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have, seen, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. <clears throat> Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments of the world, and not after, the, after Christ. For he, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was God. Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He came as God and walked upon this earth. He understood. He lived among men. He knew what man had. He knew man's problems. And yet he still loved us. Isn't that true? Look with me in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse number 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was threatened, when he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but have returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So we have the reading about the fact of Jesus, that he was God bodily, he was of the fullness of the Godhead in that body, and in that state he went to the cross and committed himself to die on that tree. First Timothy 1 and verse number 15 said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I'm chief. If we could make one statement this morning about the coming of Jesus, 
I think this one would clarify the whole thing. He said, it's a faithful saying, it's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Now I want to ask you a simple question. Don't you think that exemplifies the love of God? <clears throat> that Jesus would come and die for a bunch of unworthy people like us? Can we understand more about God's love for us today that He wants us today to be saved? How can we understand any more about God's love? In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, beginning at verse number 7, said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So when you think about this story this morning, when you think about the love that Christ has, can we think that God would give His Son, His only begotten Son? That we might have life through Him? A very familiar verse. John 3 and verse number 16. I hesitate to use that verse because it's quoted so many times. For God so loved the world. Now think about that statement for just a moment. God loved this sinful, sin-cursed people enough that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are so many people today that want to quote this verse of Scripture and say, all you got to do is just say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, we have to make that statement. But that's not all. You cannot hang your salvation upon one passage of Scripture. God loved the world enough that He gave His Son. That Son loved this world enough that He died that we might be saved. And He gave us a simple statement of how we can be saved. Remember? 
Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Simple. Not complicated. He made it a very easy and simple statement. But yet people reject it. Because they say, well, all you got to do is just believe. And that's another subject for another time. In Romans, the sixth chapter, look at beginning, Romans, excuse me, Romans 5, beginning at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. What a statement. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment. He said, you know, a man might die for someone that's righteous, someone that really needed you to take their place. But he said that wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus took the place of a bunch of sinful men. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. That we might be justified by his blood. Brothers and sisters, that word justified, not as if we had ever committed those sins. They're gone. They're forever removed. They'll never be remembered against us anymore. Thank God for justification by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the book of John. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. I believe that's 1 John. He said, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, 
Because as he is, so are we in this world. That is, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So as we think, God is love. So we are to be loved. We are to love our brothers and sisters. We are to love one another. We are to show and exemplify that love. Now let's look at Jesus in a little different sense for just a moment. I go to the book of Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Can we see Jesus love children? You know, there's no greater blessing that we as parents and grandparents have than to pick up a little child and love them. But Jesus did the same thing. He loved those little children. And he said, if you don't become converted and be like these little children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So number one, Jesus had a compassion for those children. Number two, Jesus had a compassion for those that were sick. Reading in Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse number 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all that were sick, people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and chose which were, and those that were possessed with devils, and those that were lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Jesus 
healed lots of people. He cared about those that were sick. He had a compassion for their illnesses. And as many as they brought to him, he healed them. In Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 53, And when he had passed over, they came to the land of Gesenaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him and ran throughout the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick and were, they were healed where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages, cities, country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that he might touch it, if it were but that the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Can you see the picture of those people throughout that country running and getting their sick folks and bringing them in their beds that they might be touched by even the hem of his garment, that they might be healed? Jesus came and healed sicknesses. I ask you a simple question. Does Jesus care about sick folk today? We believe that he does, don't we? He is still the same God that he was when he walked on this earth. He cares. He is a compassionate God. And his will is always done. We have to accept that many times. One more avenue of Jesus that I want to look at, and that is in the idea of the time of death. And I go to John, the 11th chapter, where Jesus is dealing with Mary and Martha and Lazarus' death. Beginning at verse number 33, said, When Jesus therefore saw the weeping, and the Jews also weeping with, came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Does that tell you he cared? Absolutely. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, when he, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave, it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take away ye the stone. Martha said unto him, the sister of Lazarus that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. 
You want us to open that tomb? For he hath been dead four days. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that thou shouldest see, believe, and shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and knew that thou, wast, thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. After you read this story, I just simply ask you a question. Does Jesus care? Absolutely. In John the 8th chapter. Beginning at verse number 1. Jesus went unto Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses said, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with the finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. When they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that was without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Again, he stooped down and rolled on the ground. And they which hear, heard it, being convinced by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Then Jesus had lifted up himself, Saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no one condemned thee? And she said unto him, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. 
We usually quit reading right there, but I want to read the next verse. This spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. There is a lot of difference of walking in darkness and walking in the light. Jesus used the word darkness to describe evil, sin, and ungodliness. And he said, don't walk in that way. Walk in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the great blessing that we have through him that we call salvation. Let's go to Mark, the second chapter, for another example. And again, he entered into Capernaum and some, after some days, it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many gathered together insomuch that it was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing the one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not get in, they could not come nigh to him for the press. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy. And Jesus saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, which doth, why doth this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? They knew the truth. They knew no one but God could forgive sins. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned, Within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easy to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? He said, Which is the easiest way? What difference does it make? But that you may know. I like this verse of Scripture. He said unto them, But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take thy bed and go thy way into thine house. He said, All of this was done that you may know that Jesus on earth has power to forgive sins. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. Insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it in this fashion. God cares about sin problems then, and he cares about sin problems today. 
And he is able to take care of that problem. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. And he said, if God loved you that much, don't you think we ought to love one another? And I want to extend that question a little bit further this morning. If God loves you that much, don't you think you ought to love him in return by doing what he says? I think that's a good question. Salvation is for anyone and everyone that we can be saved, that we can be forgiven. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Every person in this audience this morning and in Texas, in America, and around the world, God wants them all to be saved. What a statement. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter also enjoy, in, included his thoughts along the same line. He said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repent is the key word. We have to change our direction. You can't just continue to live in sin. You can't just be baptized and then go do whatever you want to do. We are called to repent and to live for Jesus Christ. In the book of the Revelation letter, 22nd chapter and verse number 17, the scripture said, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, invites today. And he said, the bride says, come, that's the church. If you're not in a saved position this morning, this congregation begs and pleads with you 
to come to Jesus. But it has to be your call. He said, whosoever will. That's your choosing. People are not going to bind you, to threaten you, but we love you. We encourage you if you're not a Christian. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You've heard the message. God's love for you. Are you thirsty? Water is available. And as you look at all of this this morning, I want to ask you that question again. Do you think Jesus cares for you? I love this verse of Scripture and use it repeatedly. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you tired of carrying that load of sin with you? Then lay it aside. Come to Jesus. Let him forgive it. He said, I will give you rest. Oh, he said, take my yoke upon you. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Revelation, the third chapter, beginning at verse number 19, he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is calling today. His voice says, Come. I'll give you rest. Come, take my yoke upon you. He said, I will forgive your sins. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. But he said, I'll make you a child of the king. Are you subject to that invitation? Will you come while together we stand and sing?